funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, Governor Murphy delivers the State of the State Address, affordability, artificial intelligence, education, reproductive, and voting rights at the top of his agenda. And in the face of these challenges, building a stronger, fairer, more resilient, and more inclusive New Jersey has never been more necessary. Plus, our team breaks it all down, taking a deeper dive into the governor's priorities for 2024. He's heading into the home stretch. He's got to work with the legislature um, if he's going to get any of this done. And so I think it's, it's, it's paying a nod to reality. Also, is it political persecution or prosecution? Senator Menendez takes to the Senate floor to defend himself, denying allegations that he served as a foreign agent for Qatar. This is an unprecedented accusation. And it has never, ever been levied against a sitting member of Congress, never, and for good reason. And seeing green, with over 50 cannabis businesses opening their doors in 2023, analysts predict the cannabis industry will continue to grow in 2024. Out of 20 counties in New Jersey, 20 to 21, have at least one dispensary open now. Um, and we're processing more and more applications. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJ PBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Tuesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Governor Murphy today shared his vision for the future of New Jersey, delivering his sixth State of the State address before a joint session of the legislature in Trenton. As is typical for these speeches, the governor touched on his administration's accomplishments, citing the economy and affordability, touting some 200,000 jobs created under his watch, along with a slew of tax cuts and the anchor property tax relief program among them. But he also unveiled a few new proposals as he enters the final two years in office, allowing 16 and 17 year olds to vote in school board elections, targeting unpaid medical debt, which according to the state affects one in every 10 residents. The governor wants to give patients more time to negotiate a bill and get financial help before debts are sent to collections. He's also on board with formally revamping the state's affordable housing program and went back to his progressive roots, urging lawmakers to back a bill that will cover out-of-pocket abortion costs. But the initiative that likely raised the most eyebrows, Murphy's hopes of launching what he calls an AI moonshot to make the state a hub for artificial intelligence growth. Here's what he had to say. To make New Jersey the best place anywhere to raise a family. A state with greater afford affordability, lower taxes for working families, and the best possible quality of life a state where new, new industries are blooming and small businesses are booming, a state with safer communities and the best schools in the entire country, and a state in which our fundamental rights, from voting rights to reproductive rights and every right in between, are secure without 
question. Now, we all know that these are not simple times, as many of our neighbors tell us. This is an era of unease and uncertainty. We live in a world rocked by two full-on wars, a surge in hate crimes, inflation, high interest rates, the aftermath of a pandemic, and the tail end of supply chain disruptions. And in the face of these challenges, building a stronger, fairer, more resilient, and more inclusive New Jersey has never been more necessary. So as we begin a new legislative session, let us unite together to continue addressing the biggest challenge facing our families. The fact that for too many, the cost of living is too high. But we can turn things around for our families. I know that because we have done it before. In the face of strong headwinds, we unleashed historic economic progress for New Jersey. Since the last administration, we have more than doubled the growth rate of our state's economy. And at the same time, we've created nearly 200,000 jobs. Pulling people out from under crushing medical debt is vital. But so is protecting them from falling down that hole in the first place. In that spirit today, and with great respect, I'm calling on our legislature to enact a new package that will help families avoid being caught in a medical debt trap and at the same time require every single medical bill to be clear and transparent. So when I talk about making New Jersey the best place to raise a family, that also means ensuring every woman has the freedom to start a family on their own terms. Here in New Jersey, before that dreadful Dobbs decision came down, we codified the right to an abortion. We had long ago restored funding for Planned Parenthood and family planning services after eight years before us of zero funding. And later this year, thanks to the leadership of Senator Shirley Turner and Assemblywoman Verlina Reynolds-Jackson's Trenton Zone, we will take another step. Women will be able to walk into a New Jersey pharmacy and buy birth control without a prescription. Here in New Jersey, we understand that as A. Philip Randolph said, and I quote him, Freedom is never given, it is won. And we are winning freedoms for everyone. First, I continue support passing same-day voter registration in New Jersey. <clears throat> Nobody should ever be denied access to the ballot box because they missed a deadline or forgot to send in paperwork. Same-day voter registration will help prevent that, and it will empower every voter to have their say on Election Day. Additionally, 
today, again, with uh, humbly, I'm also asking the legislature to send to my desk a voting rights bill that would allow 16 and 17-year-olds to vote in local school board elections. So now in 2024, it is time for New Jersey to lead the world once again in shaping a new emerging realm with incredible promise, generative artificial intelligence. Today with AI, I believe we are at the dawn of a new era, much like we were 30 years ago with the internet. Think about it this way. If a governor back in 1994 talked about the transformative potential for the internet, you might have yawned. Looking back, we have long since stopped yawning. And that is why I'm talking about generative AI today, because it is just as big and, frankly, overwhelmingly likely a whole lot bigger. And few places are better positioned to lead the way globally in AI than New Jersey. And truth is, we're already a leader in the field. And joining me in studio is our senior writer, Colleen O'Day, and Micah Rasmussen, the director for the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Good to see you both. Glad to have you on a day like this. Micah, let me come to you first. Uh, this is a lame duck governor. With that in mind, what did you make of the speech and this AI moonshot? Yeah, it, uh, it was more ambitious than I expected it to be. Um, Governor Murphy had been settling into a pattern of about five proposals per state of the state. This is a little bit more. This is going back into the territory he did sort of at the beginning of his tenure. Um, it will be interesting to see what comes of this AI moonshot because it's sort of trying to strike out in a direction ahead of other tech-friendly states, California, Massachusetts. They're talking about cutbacks now in budgets. We're sort of saying, and Governor Murphy's saying, New Jersey doesn't have to fall into that pattern. We can be more aggressive and we can be at the forefront. So we'll have to see where the meat gets on the bones with this proposal, but uh, it harkens back to a few weeks ago when he was at Princeton and talked about this effort with the university. This partnership. Colleen, to Micah's point, it did feel like a little bit more of an ambitious speech than I was anticipating. What other new proposals did he unveil? Yeah, it did. Uh, when you get into the details, though, some of these are things that are uh, legislatively driven that he's going to be supporting. For instance, he said that uh, he was going to support the affordable housing bill that didn't quite make it through the last right. um, legislature. He wants to get abolish COA and just change the process. Um, he also is looking for um, no-cost abortions for folks. No, there would, be, there would be no upfront cost for, for women. So that's another um, piece of legislation that is pending. Um, he talked about expanding universal pre-K. He wants uh, pre-K. He wants to um, expand the unpaid medical debt program and uh, provide for transparent medical billing, uh, phonics. We've got uh, a clemency program that we really don't know anything about except we think may be tied to the war on drugs. It appeared um, that way, yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, an awful, you know, uh, quite a number of, of uh, initiatives. And also voting rights, which was interesting, Micah, um, particularly coming out of this last election cycle where Democrats did pretty well. Right. Um, but, but some real progressive items on here. Did anything else stand out to you? And what wasn't in the speech? That's a great question. We didn't hear about COVID. Uh, we didn't hear about um, climate change. 
uh, things that were mainstays of his speeches in his earlier term. Um, we didn't hear um, about the incentive program that we've heard so much about in his first term, throughout his first term. Talked about the problems of incentives, how he was going to fix them, what the new program was going to look like. So these were th he's kind of turning the page here and looking for some new initiatives. He hasn't talked about this phonic stuff before that other governors, 42 other governors, have talked about. So he is looking for new proposals. I didn't necessarily see it as a sign of uh, weakness, maybe acknowledging reality when he says he's going to work with the legislature. Let's face it, he is in that lame duck territory. He's heading into the home stretch. This is uh, his sixth, and he'll have two more State of the State speeches after this. So he's got to work with the legislature um, if he's going to get any of this done. And so I think it's, it's, it's paying a nod to reality. He does have bigger margins. He defied history. He got uh, bigger legislative margins in the legislature, more Democrats to get these proposals through. Yeah. But they're going to have a mind of their own. Colleen, is there room for the criticism that some of these items are a little short-sighted? I mean, how likely is it for uh, any of the initiatives or most of these initiatives to become a reality? I mean, we would think that, that yes, given that he does have, as Micah just pointed out, these larger Democratic uh, majorities that it should be safe to think that most of them would. But in addition to calling for the, the vote for school boards for 16 and 17 year olds, um, he reiterated his support for same day voter registration. He's gonna have to convince um, the Senate president to change his mind on that. So I'm not sure if that one's going anywhere. Um, but certainly when we talk about the abortions as well, um, I think some of the new legislators coming in may have replaced even some Democrats who were kind of leery about expanding abortion rights. So um, I, I think the chances are pretty good. Might be a path there. All right, Colleen, Micah, thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Republicans offered their take on the speech, criticizing spending levels under the Murphy administration. Senior political correspondent David Cruz is with Republican Senate leader Anthony Bucco with the GOP response. David. That's right, Brianna. You know, this speech started late and, and ran a little long, obviously. The Republicans are having their own response separately. We got an opportunity to speak to uh, Minority Leader, Senate Minority Leader Anthony Bucco. Here's what he had to say. Just an initial reaction. Well, look, the governor was very optimistic tonight. He talked about affordability, access to health care, crime, education. Those are all great things, and I think we all feel the same way, that we need, we need help in those areas. But your actions got to match your words, right? You can't have a budget that spends a billion dollars more and expect New Jersey to be affordable to our residents. And we see that in terms of outward migration. We have, a, uh, we have a learning loss in our schools as a result of the pandemic uh, restrictions that were imposed. All of these things will take action, and uh, we'll see what the governor proposes as we move forward. But all of those things, you say they take action, they also take money, and so there's, there's going to be need to be expenditures for those things. Well, look, I think the state last year had an awful lot of money to spend, and unfortunately, we squandered it. And now we're facing a fiscal cliff. So, you know, these are the type of things that when you talk about these big ideas and these big policy decisions, that you've got to be able to back them up. Sometimes it's going to take little things and little steps to get there. The, the, the devil will be in the details. The governor came out uh, this afternoon in support of an affordable housing reform bill uh, that almost made it through the Senate but stopped. Um, you and other Republicans and other Democrats, quite frankly, expressed some reservations about it. Where are you on that right now? Well, look, 
the bill that's presently before that was in the last session, um, I don't think addressed the concerns that many municipalities faced. The governor spoke about sound planning today. That's got to be a key component uh, of anything that we do moving forward, because you can't just jam these houses into municipalities where there isn't places for folks to work, mass transportation, and infrastructure uh, to support it. It just doesn't work, and we can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So they're going to be these special masters uh, in this bill who will talk about uh, what the requirements are for affordable housing in the, the three regions of the state. Does that help to, to make that a little easier for everybody to understand and manage? I'm not so sure. The devil will be in the details yeah. for that. Um, I think we have to give the municipalities a little bit more flexibility to be able to locate uh, the, the affordable housing in spots that can support it. And that's what's most important. Because if you have spots that can support the affordable housing, it will get built. So we talked with uh, Senate Budget Committee Chairman Paul Sarlo the other day, and he said that he is expecting that this year's budget process is going to be particularly tough. He says that there are a couple of uh, tough spots out there. Do you agree with him, and, and what are those tough spots? I do. We see revenues falling far behind projections. So, you know, and, and Republicans have been saying this year after year, when times were good, that, those were the times to make structural changes. When all of a sudden the bottom falls out, you're forced to cut in areas that you may not want to have to cut. So when times are good, that's the time to make those structural changes. Unfortunately, I think we missed the boat on that, on that opportunity. So Senate Minority Leader Anthony Bucco there reacting to the governor's speech. Not much of a surprise there uh, of what he had to say, but in terms of what the dynamic is going to be going forward with this legislature, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. We'll send it back to the studio right now. I'm David Cruz in Trenton. All right, thanks for that, David. The legislative lame duck session ended Monday with a frenzy of bills landing on the governor's desk. Among them, a few that struggled to get over the finish line, like the bill to lift food and event restrictions on state breweries. The measure passed both chambers unanimously, but it's a scaled-down version of what Governor Murphy requested, leaving out reforms to the state's liquor license system. The governor conditionally vetoed the last version of the bill, but agreed to compromise on this one. Lawmakers also approved a measure that's been in the works for years, increasing labor protections for domestic workers. These are jobs like housekeepers, caretakers, and gardeners. If the governor signs it, some 50,000 domestic workers who've been carved out of traditional labor laws will have more safeguards when it comes to things like wage theft, paid breaks, and earning minimum wage. One item that sailed through despite all the controversy around it pay raises for judges, cabinet officials, the governor and state legislators. A bump in pay hasn't been approved in years, but there was little debate around the increase, which will go up nearly 70 percent for legislators. The Murphy administration negotiated the bill with lawmakers and he's widely expected to sign it. Well, senior Senator Bob Menendez took to the floor of the Senate today, offering a fiery defense of the latest charges he's facing. It's the first time the senator has spoken publicly about the second superseding indictment against him, unveiled just a week ago, which added additional allegations he received bribes to benefit the government of Qatar. 
Menendez again declared his innocence and vowed to prove it while continuing to deny allegations. He acted as a foreign agent to Egypt and accepted bribes in exchange for aid to the country. The senator accused the U.S. Justice Department of sensationalizing the charges by filing three separate indictments. The first one, you'll recall, was in late September, another in mid-October, and the third at the beginning of the month. Despite having all of the information up front, he says it opens a dangerous door for the department to take what he calls normal engagement with foreign government and turn it into charges. Menendez accused prosecutors of attempting to, quote, poison the jury pool and convict him, quote, in a court of public opinion. In our Spotlight on Business report, New Jersey's recreational marijuana industry has gone quickly from a struggling startup to a booming market. Over the last three years, more and more entrepreneurs have been able to secure a license and open local businesses. But as Melissa Rose Cooper reports, the shift from large-scale operators to diverse-owned dispensaries didn't come without obstacles. The symbol of illegal marijuana was like a black door. So we wanted to take that black door and make it a safe place for people. They can come in and purchase products, get information, and know actually what they're purchasing. So it's no, no longer a scary place anymore, a sketchy place. Now it's a place of comfort, a place of wellness, a place of education. Shaquana Paul says that desire to change the narrative is what led to naming this Maplewood Cannabis Dispensary Noir. She and her husband Giovanni opened the store in September, becoming the second black-owned adult use shop in New Jersey and the first to open in the northern part of the state. The actual process, it took three years uh, to get the doors open. Uh, our process, because we had the vision, uh, my wife and I, uh, took seven years. So this was a seven-year thought process, uh, five years implementing and three years of executing the, from the actual initial application with CRC to opening the doors. Noir is one of 91 cannabis dispensaries open across the Garden State since recreational marijuana was legalized almost three years ago. More than 50 of those opened last year alone. That's 40 medicinal and recreational, 41 uh, recreational only, and then 10 medicinal only. Um, out of 20 counties in New Jersey, 20 of 21 have at least one dispensary open now. Um, and we're processing more and more applications. Jeff Brown of the Cannabis Regulatory Commission is excited to see the industry steady growth. He says the CRC has received over 2,300 applications and issued over 1,300 conditional awards, as well as 150 annual awards, while prioritizing equitable businesses. About 20% of all awards have gone to social equity businesses. Those are businesses owned by people with past marijuana convictions or from economically disadvantaged areas. And then about two-thirds of those awards have gone to diversely owned businesses. Those are uh, women-owned, uh, minority-owned, or disabled veteran-owned. But while advocates agree the cannabis industry is growing, there are still some issues businesses face when looking to enter the market, like accessing bank loans since marijuana is illegal on the federal level. So when you add the fact that municipalities get to opt in and create their own zones, you're already restricting the areas where they can operate out of. And then if you don't have the capital to acquire that real estate, you're kind of out of luck. Shirelli Patel of Blaze Responsibly works with aspiring cannabis businesses looking to open in New Jersey. She believes New Jersey is on the right track with the State Economic Development Authority grant program rollouts for social equity businesses, but says more money in the form of zero or low interest loans would be a huge help. And then secondly, I think the CRC or the state legislature really needs to give the municipalities guidelines 
on how to enact ordinances, how to have their application procedures, because the municipalities are another barrier. They make it a lot more difficult for applicants to convert. Um, they have a lot more stringent requirements, and they also want to see proof of funding. There's definitely a lot of pressure uh, to getting it right and um, just the unknown. So it's definitely a lot of pressure, and it's also a blessing as well, uh, knowing that others behind us are looking, and we're also inspiring others in our community as well. And the Pauls say they look forward to serving the community and providing cannabis products in a safe environment. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. Turning to Wall Street, the struggles continue for stocks in the new year. Here's how the markets close today. Well, New Jersey is under a state of emergency tonight as a major storm moves across our area, dropping as much as four inches of rain in some places and strong winds gusting up to 60 miles per hour. The rain comes after a string of storms in recent weeks, creating the risk of major river flooding across North Jersey and in the Delaware River Basin. Towns along the Passaic River, like Little Falls, are on especially high alert after dealing with serious flooding last month. Month. Some coastal flooding is also projected along the Delaware Bay, and utility companies are warning of potential power outages with an eye on the shore. That's where winds are expected to be the strongest. The state of emergency covers all 21 counties and went into effect at 5 p.m. State officials are urging people to stay off the roads, and if you do have to travel, don't drive through flooded streets. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation. Have some water. Look at these kids. What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American. My name is Julia Toriani Crompton and I'm proud to be an NJEA member.